everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Good to see you. Those of you in the room, thank you for joining us. Those of you watching on, at home, um, you're going to wish you were here uh, right now. So, um, but you can, you can also enjoy what we're doing in here. So uh, this is day four, day four of our Advent calendar. Hopefully you've been uh, tuning in, at least watching and, and uh, participating, though, is really what we want you to do. Uh, we want you to engage with us uh, online. So, so do that, continue to do that as we continue to go through uh, these different days. So um, are you excited about what's in uh, box number four? Okay, all right. At least pretend to be excited. Okay, there we go. At home, they're pumped in here. You can tell. Just, you can feel the energy in this room. It's just... All right, here we go. Are you ready? Here we go. Uh, candy canes. Candy canes. Everybody gets a candy cane when you leave. <laughs> what do you think it was going to be? Like $100 what? What is that? Candy cane. We can't afford that. Um, anyways, so candy cane, what is it? Well, it, candy cane has an incredible message. You know the message of the candy cane, right? Are you familiar with the message? Yeah, absolutely. So the candy cane, if you turn it like this, it, it's a J, right? J represents Jesus, right? And it also it has like a crook to it. So also Jesus is our good shepherd, right? So he leads us. He's our uh, good shepherd. He guides us and protects us. That's what a good shepherd does. Um, nor, naturally, a candy cane is white, uh, which represents Jesus as his perfection, his purity, um, and so that's what Jesus is. He's, he's perfect in, 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 in every way. But also it has some red stripes on there, which represents what Jesus has done for us, right? That he died on the cross. He shed his blood so that you and I can be forgiven and set free from our sins. Isn't that good? So the message of the candy cane. So it's not just a candy cane. It's a gospel story that you can share. So take a candy cane, enjoy it, and Merry Christmas. Okay. All right, all right. Let's get to the message. Okay, so we talk. We've been talking about um, this, what we call silent nights, silent nights. And so there was 400 years of what we call silent nights. And the reason um, they were 400 years of silent nights is sort of the uh, inter, this sort of this technical term, intertestamental period, um, which is between the Old Testament in our Bibles and the New Testament. So there's this period of time, and for you, maybe in your Bible, it's just a page. Um, but for those people back at that time, it was 400 years of silence, meaning that there was no written word, no written word, so uh, no, no inspired word written during that time, um, inspired by God written during that time, and, and there was no prophetic voice, no prophetic voice. So no, no prophet, uh, no prophecies. Uh, for 400 years, it was literally... Uh, as far as, uh, you know, they were concerned, nothing from, from God, no written inspired word, no prophet speaking against or with uh, God's people. And so Paul, uh, when he's writing this letter, and now these, these letters that Paul uh, are writing um, are God's inspired word, inspired by the Holy Spirit through Paul to write these letters to these churches. Here's the way that Paul describes it. He describes it in Galatians 4.4. He says, for when but when the fullness of time came, but when the fullness of time came, in other words, when the time was fulfilled, when over a period of time there was silence, God didn't speak through any prophet, there was no written word, 
but it didn't mean that God wasn't working. He, he says, but when the fullness of time came, um, when that was completed, God sent his son, and he was born of a woman, and he was born under the law, and we're going to talk about that uh, today. He was born under the law, so that, and then Paul says, here's, here's why, so when the fullness of time, so when that, between that Old Testament time and New Testament time, that 400 years of silence, he says, God was, was, was working, when that was completed, he sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, because essentially the, the law, he's talking about the Mosaic law, and the Mosaic law, the intention was, to very plainly say it, is that it reveals to us where we fall short of God. That the law of God reveals to us how we fall short of God. That God says, this is my expectations, this is what it should look like, you know, to live a perfect life. And, and Jesus did that. Jesus was the fulfillment of what he says, the laws and the prophets. And so he redeemed those who were under the law so that we might, so that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters, so that we can be adopted into the family of God. So what, what we couldn't do on our own because we fell short of God's rules, we fell short of God's laws, what we couldn't do, Jesus did for us. Isn't that good news, everybody? Jesus did for us so that we can be adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. And so God did a lot. God did a lot of things. We talked about, you know, last week that even though, even though God feels silent, he's still sovereign, right? Even though when things feel silent and we don't hear from God, God is still sovereign and God is still in control. And we talked about it even in the silence is that Jesus, Jesus is the, it makes sense of the chaos that happens in this world. That Jesus is the one that brings order to the chaotic life that we have. He's the one that brings sense to it. And so uh, we looked at that, and that's what happens when we are in this silent period. And the temptation for us is, is that we are, when we are in the silent period, or we don't really hear from God, or we don't think that feel God, or you know, God is around, that we, our temptation is, is to sort of go and try to find you know, fulfillment and satisfaction in the world find that somewhere else, even when we don't hear from God or think God is real, that we go and try to find that somewhere else. And Jesus says, listen, don't try to gain the whole world, just like Alexander the Great tried to do. Don't try to gain the whole world, but in the process, you're losing your soul. And so in the silent period, we're always tempted to try to find it somewhere else or find fulfillment or hope somewhere else, and we'll never find it. It's only found in Jesus. It's only found in him. And he wants to adopt you. He wants to receive you as his sons and his daughters. So um, we, uh, we just want to just take another uh, period of time within history um, and, and look at some of the things that happened during this time. And so uh, one of the things that happened is, is this, and uh, Daniel speaks about this, is that when Alexander the Great, he, uh, he, he died, um, his, his, his sort of his empire, if you will, was sort of broken up into his four different generals. And so uh, Daniel speaks of this in these terms. He says, but as soon as he had, uh, has arisen, talking about Alexander the Great, his kingdom will be broken up and, and parceled out toward the four points of the compass, though not, though not to his own. 
okay? And so uh, his own, and then ne- the next part of the verse says this, not to his own descendants, nor according to his, uh, his authority, which he w- wielded, because uh, his, his sovereignty will be removed and given to others besides them. And so Daniel is, again, talking about Alexander the Third, or you know him as Alexander the Great, and his empire and his kingdom were, you know, parceled out amongst, around the, the known world within his four main generals. And it wasn't from his own descendants. He, he didn't think ahead with a succession of that. He just, it just, he died, and his four generals took control over, over the known world. Um, Over a period of, again, we're talking about 400 years, right? So we have to sort of move along in the narrative. Um, 150 years later, um, I know, we just fast-forwarded 150 years, okay? His four generals are still controlling the world, okay? And, and, and we're going to now, we sort of looked at sort of a, a big picture of the, of the world in the grand scheme of things within, within the world. Um, but we're sort of going to now narrow our focus and look at, you know, the people of God, uh, Judah, the, the nation of Israel. And so where God began to sort of prepare and set the table uh, for, the, for the coming Messiah. And so uh, over a 150-year period, um, through one of... Alexander the Great's general, um, he was a, was a, a king, and, and his name was Antiochus, Antiochus IV. And Antiochus IV was a, um, considered to be a crazy man, a crazy man. Uh, and, and so his actual, his surname was uh, Epiphanes, Epiphanes, uh, which means the manifest, or um, he would re- view himself as the God's manifest, God's manifest. That was sort of what, what he viewed him as. But the, the Jews uh, called him this, Epimanus, which means the madman. The madman. So they were sort of a play on words, they called it. So this guy was, was a complete tyrant. Um, he, he was a part of just doing terrible, terrible things to uh, the Jewish people. But his motivation, just his motivation was, was this, and we talked about this last week. His motivation was to, was to, was one thing, was to Hellenize the, wor- the world, to Hellenize the world. In other words, Hellenization was to bring the Greek way of life began by Alexander III, Alexander the Great, to, to push the Greek culture in the world, all of culture, all of car- culture. And so that was his ambition. And this guy, Antiochus IV, he took it as far as saying, listen, if you don't live like a Greek, if you don't live within the, our culture and do what our culture does, he says, you'll be killed, you'll be killed. It, it began subtly, you know, where, where many were urged, and it was sort of the subtle thing where, where they were trying to just, you know, bring compromise into different cultures and, and instill Greek culture into them. But eventually, Antiochus came around and said, listen, if you don't do this, if you don't, you know, pray to our gods, if you don't, you know, 
take on our names, then you are going to be killed. You're going to be killed for it. And so that's, he was a madman. That's why they called him, you know, Epimenus. He was a madman, okay? And so just to review, Hellenize the world, what does that mean? Well, that means that there was a universal language, and so we, we talked about that too. There was a, a language that they called Koine Greek, which was common Greek, common Greek. So all of the world spoke Greek. All of the world spoke Greek. And even when some of the, the, the Jews, when they came back from Babylonian captivity, many of them couldn't even remember how to speak Hebrew anymore because they were so inundated and they grew up in, in Babylon. So when they were brought back, they now all had a universal language, and it wasn't Hebrew. Their universal language was Greek. That's why our New Testament Bible was originally written in Greek. As a matter of fact, the first Bible translation, the first Bible translation or, or translated, you know, into a different language. So the original Bible or the Old Testament, the what we know it, was written in Hebrew. But because it was hard to communicate with everybody, they translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek. It's called the Septuagint, the Septuagint. And so they translated into the, this Greek language. And so everybody had a universal language. Everybody could understand. Well, that benefited the Christian church, you know, hundreds of years later, hundreds of years later. And not only that, but they built gyms and theaters. They built gyms and theaters. They made gyms and theaters similar to what we experience in our culture today. As a matter of fact, if you go to any major city in America or around the world, you'll discover that there's gyms or fields. Like if you go to Detroit, you know, you get Ford Field, right? And you get Little Caesars Arena. And you know what, ha what is, has happened over the number of years? Is that there's little cities within the big city. And so if you go to like a football game or you go to a basketball game, all around the, the, the stadiums are shops, restaurants, places to live. They were, they, the Greeks, this idea of what we have within our American Western culture today originated from Hellenism. It originated from Greek culture, from Greek culture. Not only that, but Greek names were adopted. Greek names were adopted. And those Greek names are still in our culture today. Names like Peter is a Greek name. Names like James is a Greek name. Its Hebrew name is Jacob. The Greek name for Jacob is James. John is a Greek name. Are you ready for this one? Jesus is a Greek name. Jesus in the Hebrew is Joshua. In the Greek, Jesus. Mary is a Greek name. The Hebrew name for Mary is Miriam. Good stuff, huh? Greek culture, Greek culture has Hellenized the world and is still impacted today. Not only that, Judaism was becoming obsolete. Judaism, the Hebrew faith, was becoming less and less. High priests were being compromised. And instead of building an altar to Yahweh and praying to Yahweh, they were praying to 
the god of Jupiter or Zeus or Athena. And, and Tychicus was a major opponent for Judaism. And then this happened. And it tells us in uh, Daniel eleven thirty one. Forces from him will arise. Desecrate the sanctuary fortress and do away with the regular sacrifice and they will set up the abomination of desolation. And so, and then it goes on to say this. And by smooth words, he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly towards the covenant, but the people who know their God will be strong and take action. And so what happened was, in Tychicus, what, what Daniel called the abomination of desolation, and Tychicus came in, and came into, the, into Jerusalem, went into the temple, and was forcing people to make sacrifices of pigs on the altar, which was a no-no in, Judea, in Judaism and Jewish culture. And they were ripping down the altars of Yahweh, they were building up to gods of, of Zeus, and they were forcing people, Jews, to pray to the, God, the Greek gods. But then, in that time, there was a, a man who rose up, and he was what they called somebody who knows their God and will be strong and, and take action. And it, and, and it says in, in 1 Maccabees, it says this, which is an extra-biblical account of what happened in this time. It says, they preferred some preferred to die rather than to be defiled with food or profane or profane the holy covenant and they did die and one of those guys was was a guy by the name he was an old old man he was his name was Mattathias Mattathias of Modian and Mattathias of Modian came when they one of these generals of Antiochus came to Modian Mattathias refused, refused to sacrifice any pig or pray to any Greek god. And, be, and because of that, his, his life was at stake. And as one of the people in Modian was going to just give in and, and compromise their faith in Judaism and go and to pray so that in order for this guy to preserve his life, Matthias killed that guy who was going to go and make a sacrifice to the Greek god of Jupiter. And not only that, but the general that came in, Matthias, rose up against him, and he killed him. And then Matthias, it says this, it says in, verse, uh, in, in 1 Maccabees 2.27, Then Matthias cried out in the city, Let everyone who is zealous for the law and who stands by the covenant follow me. And then it says this in, in the 28. Then he and his sons fled to the mountains, leaving behind in the city all their possessions. And then it says in verse 29. And at that time, many who sought righteousness and justice went out into the wilderness to settle there. And that began what, is, what was called the Maccabean Revolt. The Maccabean Revolt. And this Maccabean Revolt was began by this high priest by the name of Mattathias and his sons. And anyone who, who refused to bend a knee and to give in to the Hellenization of their city or their culture. 
and they rose and they went and basically hid according to you know this this the narrative in Maccabees they went and they hid in, into the wilderness and they created and they over time built up this strong army to fight against the Syrian king of Antiochus and, and, and his and his leadership and his army and so over time and they would use this tactic they would use what was called guerrilla warfare tactics guerrilla warfare tactics okay which means that they would come together and when when the enemy was least expecting it they would rise up and they would kill them when, when they were least expecting it um, George Washington in the Revolutionary War, used guerrilla warfare tactics. If you've ever seen the movie The Patriot, anybody ever see the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson? That was some of the tactics that was used within the Revolutionary War. Mattathias used that. The Maccabean Revolt, that's exactly what it was. Now, what is that? Well, Mattathias eventually died in battle, and his oldest son, um, Josephus said it was his uh, oldest son, but others uh, say it was his third son. One of his sons, uh, was his name was Judas the Maccabee. Judas the Maccabee, which means, Maccabee means the hammer. Isn't that a cool name to have? Isn't that cool? Like, he sounds like a wrestler, doesn't it? Like, this is the hammer, Judas the hammer, right? That's what he meant. And so the reason why it was called the Maccabean Revolt is because these people that rose up to say, you know what, we're not compromising our faith. We're not, comp we're taking action. We're going to hold to the covenant. We're going to hold to God's laws. We worship Yahweh only. And they hammered anybody that got in their way. They hammered anybody that stood in their path. And that's why it was called, he was called Judas the Maccabee because he was now the leader. And he rose and he became stronger and stronger and stronger. And more people began to follow him. And as a matter of fact, there was this group of people called the, uh, the um, Hasidim, the Hasidim, these group of people who were zealous for the law, zealous for the law of, of Moses, the Mosaic law. And, and they came and they joined Judas and his revolt against Hellenizing the world and allowing Greek culture to enter into the world. And it says this, it says this in 1 uh, Maccabees 4.59. Then Judas and his brothers and the entire assembly of Israel decreed that every year for eight days from the 25th day of the month of Kislev, which is December, so December 25th, Merry Christmas, the days of the dedication of the altar should be observed with joy and gladness on the anniversary. What, what, what is this? Well, what happened was is that Judas and his followers and his army were, became so strong that they moved into Jerusalem. And as this Syrian uh, you know, rule was in control over the city, and specifically in the temple, they, th these, these people from Syria, they barricaded themselves in the temple. Judas and his armies, Judas and the Maccabees, the Maccabeans, moved in and they took the temple back. They, they came in and they destroyed all of those that were barricaded in there and they destroyed all of the altars that were built to Zeus and to Jupiter and they removed and they reestablished the temple which God intended it to be. And in that temple, 
in that temple was a menorah, was a menorah. And the menorah has seven branches. And according to the Levitical law, the Mosaic law, each branch that was lit for each day, there was enough oil to have a day's worth within the seven branches of the menorah. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It was just enough oil for each every day. It was meant to be for seven days. Well, when the Maccabean revolt was happening within the temple, and they, re, they purged the temple from the Syrian pagans that were trying to push Greek culture, and people were dying if they didn't bow to the knee, that th it lasted, that menorah lasted not seven days, and they viewed it, this as a miracle of God. That menorah lasted eight days which is where we get eight crazy nights called Hanukkah. The festival of lights. Did you know Jesus celebrated Hanukkah? It says in John 10, 22. And at that time, the feast, what they called the feast of the dedication, Hanukkah, the festival of lights, took place in Jerusalem. In verse 23, and it was winter. Of course it was. It was December 25th. And Jesus was walking in the temple area in the portico of Solomon. Well, eventually Judas died. The Maccabee. The hammer. And his brother took over. And his name was Jonathan. Jonathan. Now, Jonathan was what they called they called Judas the hammer. They called Jonathan the cunning, the cunning. Because Jonathan was good politically. He wasn't the, the, the you know, the, the, the soldier, fighter kind of a person. He, was, he more uh, worked through uh, the diplomacy aspect of the Jewish people and restoring Israel back to its nation state. And so what Jonathan, in that process, in, the, in that process, Jonathan began to compromise. He began to compromise. Things like this. He was recognized as not only the king, but he was also recognized as a priest. Because he came from a priest. He came from, his father was Mattathias. So he was a, he was a priest. But he was also, and the people were also recognizing him as a king. And not only that, not only Jonathan, but when Jonathan died, um, his other brother, Simon, took over, and it even got worse. And even though the nation of Israel was restored back to their, you know, state, and they, re they regained what, what David had control of, King David had control of, and they regained all that through the Maccabean revolt, Jonathan and Simon began to view themselves and their revolt as priest and king priest and king now here's why that's important the reason why that's important is because only the messiah only the christ would be and prophesied would be a priest and a king so in a sense and in a very subtle way even beginning with judas and then on to jonathan and then on to Simon, they started to compromise the scripture. They started to compromise the law. 
and they started to see themselves not only as priests and kings, but they actually started to see themselves as the Messiah, as the Messiah. They started to believe that they were the chosen one of God. And here's why that this was a problem, and here's what a lot of the, the, the people ignored. Here's, here's why. They were not Levitical. They were not Levitical, which means only a, Le, a, a Levite can be a priest. They were not, 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 not the tribe of Judah, okay? They were not, you don't know that word? The tribe of Judah, which is where the prophecy of the Messiah was. So the prophecy would be, it would be Levitical. He would be of the tribe of Judah. And they were not of the E-line of David. They were not in that. Okay, so you get the point, all right? You get the point, all right? So they were not Levitical. They were not of the tribe of Judah. And they were not from the line of David. But they knew that. And yet they still compromised. Okay. All of that, all of that, here's the, the point. Through that, you're either one of two things, and this is also true for us today. You're either committed or you're compromised. You're either committed or you're compromised. And you saw, uh, hopefully you saw, hopefully I did an okay job explaining to you that there was those who took action and rose up and said, we are not going to compromise what this culture wants us to do. And I'm committed to that. And I'm convicted by that. And I'm challenged by that. Or... We do compromise, and we do know the truth, and we do allow even subtle things to enter into our hearts and in our lives, and we begin to compromise what we already know is true. As I remember, m mentioned uh, earlier, there was a group of people called the Hasidim, the Hasidim. Um, these were people that were, uh, the, their, their names mean the separatists. And so when, when they saw Judas the Maccabee and his brother Jonathan and his brother Simon after that, when they saw them be compromised, they separated themselves. Because these guys were zealous, ambitious into making sure that God's law would be restored and put into proper place and that no one would compromise that. And so the reason why Judas died was because the Hasidim said, listen, you started out and your father, Mattathias, was a dedicated man. He was committed to no Hellenization. But Judas, you started out all right, but you allowed yourself to go from religion to politics. And they, they left. Jonathan was all politics, and they said, nope, we want nothing to do with that. Simon thought he was the Messiah, and they certainly wanted nothing to do with that. At this point, at this point, and we don't 
fully aren't sure where exactly these people rose up, and and then they eventually changed their name, or their name was changed. But their name was changed to this, the Pharisees. Anybody ever heard of this group? The Pharisees. This is, before they were referred to as Pharisees, they were known as the Hasidim. Listen, when you think about Pharisees because of what we read in the Gospels, you think bad guys. At this time, these guys were good, zealous people. They were good, zealous people. Now, they were committed to the law. They were committed. They were dedicated. But here's what we already know if you know the Gospels. They got compromised. Do you see it? They got compromised. They were committed. They were zealous. We will fight with Judas until Judas becomes too political. We will fight with Jonathan, but Jonathan's too political. We will fight with Simon, but Simon thinks he's a god. We're not doing it. And they, they, were, they, were, they, were, determined to, to, they were determined to make sure that the Mosaic law and the prophets were exactly the way that they saw, saw them. Inspired word of God. And they were zealous for that. Ambitious for that. But over years, what happened to them? What happened to them? Here's what happened, and here's what can happen to us. So the Pharisees, over time, committed, they became compromised, and they turned into self-righteous hypocrites. Self-righteous hypocrites. What we know them in the scriptures Jesus referred to them as self-righteous hypocrites. Now, these were, you have to understand, these were your favorite pastors. Like, can you imagine? Imagine, like, like Jesus walking in and, like, like, yelling at me going, don't listen to them. He's a self-righteous hypocrite. And you'd be like, you don't know what you're talking about. That's Pastor Chris. He's our guy. He's cool. Like, this is what Jesus was doing, and this is the way that they viewed the Pharisees at that time. They're like, no, this is like, this is like a rabbi. This is like a, a priest. These are, these are guys that know the laws and the prophets, and, and now Jesus, you're, you're, you're calling them self-righteous hypocrites? And Jesus would go, yeah, I know their history. I know their history. Their history was they were committed to the laws and the prophets. But over time, subtly over time, they became self-righteous hypocrites. Now, good thing that doesn't happen in the church. Here's what Jesus said about them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Jesus, settle down, man. That's our favorite pastor. He says, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Like, these dudes tithe off their spice racks, for crying out loud. I don't know if anybody, you are you bringing in 10% of what's in your spice rack? I don't know what we would do with it, but these guys were doing it. He's like, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. And have, but look, it's just, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. Things like justice and mercy and faithfulness. 
But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Jesus is going, listen, guys, listen. I know you want to look spiritual. You want to have, in, let's be honest, Christians are so good at this. You want to come off as if you have it all together. How you doing? Praise God. Everything's perfect. Couldn't be better. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good, right? And Jesus is going, come on. Come on. You want to look on the outside. You think you're so spiritual. Look, look, look. This is from my spice rack. You want some mint? Right? You want some cumin? Like, we're like, and Jesus is going, listen, but you're, you're not doing the weightier things. You're not being faithful. You're not showing mercy. You're not exhibiting grace. You're not loving. You're not being patient. You're not being kind. He says, listen, I don't care what you tithe. Listen, listen I don't want 10% of your spice rack. I want 100% of your faithfulness and your kindness. And these guys committed. But then they started to compromise. And they started to put things on people. And expect things from people. And live a certain way so that they can look good on the outside. But Jesus said on the inside, your heart is far from my heart. He said it this way in verse 26. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may also become clean right we know this to be true we do dishes who who of you like starts with the outside of the cup like the stuff was in the inside right we pour we put the water in and like like you understand jesus like this is simple stuff like who cares about what how clean the outside of the cup is we work so hard to look and make ourselves look good on the outside. What if we spent as much time as we do making ourselves look presentable on the outside as we should making ourselves look presentable to God on the inside? Come on, you, when you bought a house, you didn't buy the house because it had curb appeal. At first, you're like, this house looks great. And then what did you have to do? You had to get it inspected. You didn't go, the siding is perfect. The roof is amazing. Like, the driveway is brand new. No, you said, I need to get an inspector in. Why? Because I need to make sure the bones are good. It's easy for us to, to go, you know, I got curb appeal. God's going, I don't care about your curb appeal. Listen, this is a good-looking room in here. You guys look amazing. But God's not looking at the outward appearance. God's looking at what's going on in here. What if we spent as much time as we do on the external as we need to do on the internal so that we don't subtly we start out committed and we move into
compromise. We move into compromise. Did you know there's another group that came as a result of the Pharisees? They said, no, 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 I don't know about these Pharisees. These guys, they were committed, now they're compromised, and I don't even know if I believe all that they believe. And so there's another group that rose up during this time. And it was a group known as the Sadducees. The Sadducees. The Sadducees were self-centered hedonists. Again, aren't you glad there's no self-centered hedonists in the church? The Sadducees were a part of the Pharisees. They were all one under the name of Hasidim, the Hasidim, the separatists. And the Sadducees said, no, we don't want and we don't believe. As a matter of fact, the the Sadducees didn't believe, and you can read, read about them in the Gospels, they didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in an afterlife. And so they lived, this is important, they lived as if there wasn't an afterlife. They lived as if there wasn't eternal life. Now that, is, that doesn't happen here. They lived with the idea, hey, I have no accountability after this life, so therefore I'm just going to be self-centered and a hedonist. If you don't know what a hedonist is, it's somebody who is a pleasure-happy seeker. They pursue pleasure, they pursue happiness. And you know what can get us to compromise so easy? Is when we become pleasure-happy seekers. And we become self-centered hedonists just like the Sadducees. And we live sometimes as if there's no accountability in the afterlife. Here's what Jesus said to them, the Sadducees. Jesus said to them, is it not the reason you are mistaken, and this is important for us, is it, he's talking to the Sadducees. Is it not the reason that you are mistaken that you do not understand the Scriptures nor the power of God? So Jesus is going, listen, here's why you, you are living self-centered, hedonistic, pursuit of pleasure, pursuit of happiness, is because you don't understand fully the Scriptures and you don't understand fully the power of God and what the power of God can do. And then he goes on to say this. But regarding the fact that the dead rise, have you not read in the book of Moses? And so here's an important thing for Jesus too. They only believed in the Torah. They only held the Torah as their inspired scripture, the first five books of our Old Testament. Oh, that, was, that was it. And so Jesus knows that. And Jesus uh, addresses what is written just within the first five books of the Old Testament. He says, but regarding the fact that the dead rise, have you not read the book of Moses in the passage about the burning bush? So he gives them a real easy softball one. You know the one about Moses and the burning bush, right? How God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Here's Jesus' point to the Sadducees. He didn't say, I was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, 
and the God of Jacob. He said to Moses, long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were off the earth, I still am the God of these men. And then he says this to clarify for us. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. You're greatly mistaken if you don't think that after this life that you lead and live, that there's not going to be a time when you're going to step into eternity and you're going to face the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you and I, don't be mistaken, you and I are going to be held accountable to this life. Every single human being is immortal. We are immortal people. And we are going to step out of this life on earth and we're going to step into eternal life somewhere. And before that happens, we're going to stand before a holy God. And I don't want that holy God to say to me and to say to you, you were self-centered hedonists. You lived for yourself when you should have lived for my son Jesus who gave his life for you so that you can have paradise. Don't be mistaken. Here's what Paul says about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what good is it to me? In other words, Paul goes, listen, I was in Ephesus and there was some, what he calls wild beasts, which means that Paul was almost beaten to death in Ephesus, by a mob of people. Paul goes, why would I put myself through that if it wasn't, if I didn't know and believe and was certain of a resurrection from the dead? I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't live a life for Jesus if I didn't think that I was going to be held accountable to that Jesus when I died. He said, I wouldn't do that. Here's what he says next. If the dead are not raised, let's just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Jesus added that in the Gospels and Paul was taken from that. Jesus said, let us just eat and drink and be Mary. In other words, if we live for this life only, you might as well eat, drink, and be merry. But you're not. You're not. And we are not because we are held accountable to live a life of character and integrity with morals that God has established for us within his word. Do you not understand the scriptures? And do you not understand the power of God? Let's not be a people. And during this time of the Maccabean revolt, 
where some Pharisees showed up. Oh, they were committed at first, but then they compromised. And then some Sadducees said, you know what? We're just going to live for ourselves because there probably isn't a resurrection. And Jesus said, are you sure? Because even in your own scriptures, he's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Where do we compromise? I think we compromise by being self-centered. Where do we compromise, Christian? We compromise somewhere where we, we're self-righteous. We think we're better than people. Oh, I know Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm a Jesus follower. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I know that, you know, I'm spiritual, man. I tithe. I bring in my spice rack. And Jesus is like, you don't even serve. You don't show mercy. You're not faithful. You're like, you got curb appeal. But your heart is bad. You're thinking you're better than people? Come on. We're no better. The heart of the gospel is that we're broken people. And the heart of this ministry in this is, is to say, hey, it's okay to not be okay. Can we just take a breath in that? Listen, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to say, I don't, I don't know, I, I don't understand. God is silent. I, I, I'm not hearing from him. I don't know what's happening. I, I'm trying, I'm not feeling anything. Nothing seems to be changing in, in my life. And, and I, I, it's, listen, it's okay. It's okay. But don't turn to, what well, I got to just, I got to just have this facade. I got to make people believe that it's okay. I got to let people know like that I'm good. And God's going, you're not good. I, I, I know what's going on in your heart. I know what's going on in your heart. And if it's not that, we're just, we're selfish. It's about our happiness. It's about our pleasure. It's about what we think we should get out of this life. It's, it's, if, it's, it's if we think we're just living this life. We're not. We're not. So today, as we learn through that time of history, it's so easy to start out committed. But it's easier to start to compromise. To start to compromise. And allow that into our life. And thank goodness Jesus showed up years later. And people that were so tired, this is so important, people that were so tired of religion and so tired of pursuing pleasure. You see it? They showed up on the scene. 
You got the Sadducees and their hedonism, and you got the Pharisees and their self-righteousness and their religion. And people are just, were just tired of it. They were done with it. Pharisees were putting on all these extra laws and rules and regulations on people. They were trying to pursue Greek, you know, Hellenistic cultures and Hellenistic ways, and none of that was satisfying. And Jesus shows up and goes, hey, are you tired? Are you tired of your self-righteousness and your hypocrisy? Are you tired of your self-centeredness and your pursuit of trying to find happiness in this life? Are you tired? Come on. You can find me. You can come to me. You can come to me. You can give me your burdens. You can lay them on me because I care for you. Come on. Come on. Church, are you tired of your hypocrisy? Are you tired of your self-centeredness? Jesus is here. He's here. Let's pray. Father, a nation of empires of trying to push worldly culture, pleasure-pursuing, happy-pursuing ways of life that only bring emptiness, never satisfy. Meanwhile, People like Mattathias and the early days of the Pharisees and Sadducees were committed to keeping things under the law. And they did that. When you showed up on the scene and when you were born of a woman, your people were still under the law. And that happened because of committed people like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But those committed people, just like Judas the Maccabee and his brother Jonathan and his brother Simon, they just began to be compromised and allowed their self-righteousness and allowed their self-centeredness to rule and to dictate and to determine their actions. In their decisions. Father, I pray, I pray, I pray that that isn't us. That we continue to be committed and to fight and to take action against culture and what culture is pushing on us. That we continue to fight against the world. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. We live in it, but we're not of it. And we're definitely not going to pretend. We're definitely not going to put on our facade. And we're definitely not going to fake as if everything is okay and be hypocrites when it comes to our spiritual walk. We certainly don't want to be self-centered and live as if this is the only life we have. We're all immortal. That's the way you made us. So I pray, Lord, that we, from here on out, 
live with an understanding, live in a way that honors you in everything that we do. That it's not about us, it's all about you. It's not about what we think, it's about what you think. It's not about what our heart wants, it's what your heart is. And God, we're pursuing <clears throat> things like joy and peace and goodness and mercy and faithfulness. Those are the 100% that you're wanting us to have and to give to and towards. I pray, Lord, that we understand your scriptures. And I pray, Lord, that we understand your power that you can do in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.